you will, turn with me this morning to Luke 4, 16 through 22. That's where we'll start, and uh, in a little bit, we'll move over to Isaiah 6 um, to finish our time together today. It'll be on the screens if you don't have a Bible with you. There's also one in the seat ahead of you if you want one to take home with you today. Um, You know, it's, it's funny, um, these two texts today, this is the end of our Pathway series, and it's um, what, I, what the Lord has impressed on me all week, and um, it's always kind of different, I don't know, the sermon planning process, I heard one pastor this week, he said it's like writing a term paper every week, um, I don't know if it's quite like that, but maybe a little bit, and uh, sometimes you are just saying, God, speak, 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 I need to hear from you, I need to hear from you, because I kind of live with the conviction that it's really not my place to give people something that God hasn't given me, and so um, we're kind of in this, and all week I felt like God has been saying, Ryan, just tell them what I've told you, tell them what I've told you, tell them what I've told you, and I just feel like he's been saying that to me all week long, and this is some of that old work that God did in me a long time ago that just resonates deeply into this day. See, and it was, it was uh, around the time, right after I'd become a Christian, about a year later, uh, me, and, me and a group of people had begun to pray about just that God would use us on our campus to reach college students. We were in this small school in, in Wayne, Nebraska, about 5,000 people. And now, Nebraska, this is how it works. It's a little bit like Ohio. If the wind blows wrong when you're in the country, your whole university smells like cattle. And... Uh, and so that's the kind of school I was at. But there was about 5,000 students, and Wayne was about 5,000. So there was about 10,000 people in this little town, this little area. And God had really given, a, given us a vision that what if we could put the gospel in arm's reach of every student on our campus? And so we began to move toward this work. And one of the ways that we just believed that God was going to do this greater work was by praying. And we just were asking him to do this through us. And so um, we didn't know anything um, I knew very little Bible, I knew very little anything, but I just had this big belief that God could move in big ways. So we would go out about 11 o'clock at night, because it was weird to see people praying uh, in the way we would prayer walk, and we'd go and do, put our hands on buildings and say, God, would you, when, the, when, when students, it was the summer, would you, when students come back here, would you, would you move in this dorm? Would you, would you use the people who believe in this dorm? We'd do that, and so... And we'd go to the education buildings. I remember going to Gardner, Gardner Education. Right outside, there was this granite bench. And me and this guy named Mike Poyser, I'm going to get emotional here. Mike passed away uh, two years ago. So anyway, he died a month before my brother died. And, uh, and so Mike, really good friend of mine, we were roommates in college. And uh, Mike and I sat there. And I said, Mike, I don't... I don't think I can do anything else with my life. See, at that time, I was about to have an education degree, and I was going to be a, you know, my big goal in life, which was a good goal, was to be a wrestling coach and teach on the side. And, uh, and that's what I wanted to do. I'd wrestled for 13 years growing up. It was kind of all that my life had been, and I, even in college, was coaching on the side, and that's, that's what I was going to do. And I just said to Mike, I said, I, I don't think I can do it. I, I, I want to do this. I want to tell people about Jesus. I want to preach. I want to teach. And we began to pray as we were on this prayer walk. And after we got done in this prayer time, there was just this resolve in me. What I'd call it today is a calling. 
upon my life that God birthed that day. And Mike really helped me walk through, and that's why I get emotional about it, a very significant moment that he played in my life. God began me to walk with me through that. But see, my calling wasn't this. I wasn't sitting in the front row of a church and pastor said, if you're called to ministry, come to the altar. That's not my story. Mine was, I was praying that people that didn't know Jesus would come to know Jesus. And God said, Ryan, I want you to do that. In the midst of this work, I want you to keep doing that, this, the rest of your life. And see, my calling, and I believe everyone's calling, simply, I think there's a lot of biblical example, and I'll show you a little bit of that today, is that really calling comes out of burden. The question is, what breaks our hearts? What is it that just so moves us that we have to do something about it? And then another better question is, is the burden that we have worthy of even being a burden at all? Because we can have all kinds of burdens that aren't really worth the burden, right? And so today, what I want to share with us is, is to walk through um, two texts. The first text is in Luke. Um, this is when Jesus, he kind of comes onto the scene. This is the first sermon. This is where he stands up and he reads the text in, in Luke 4, and he kind of sets the course for the prophecy fulfilled, what he has come to do. And the beauty of it is we know that he actually, what he says he was going to do, this is one great thing about our God, what he says he was going to do, he does. He never lies. It's always fulfilled. All of his promises come true. And then we're going to look back at Isaiah and his calling. So if you'll stand with me this morning in honor of reading God's word, we're in Isaiah, or sorry, Luke 4, 16, and we're going to read down to 22. And it says, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, this is this pretty amazing moment as Jesus is, is getting up to speak. This would have been kind of a long liturgical service and there would have been all these things kind of embedded in it. There were the, they would have recited Deuteronomy 6. There was 18 prayers. They read the Torah. They read the Haftarah. There was a sermon. There's there an Aaronic benediction. Jesus gets up in this and he reads this text from Isaiah. So he picks up the scroll. We got the scroll in our hand, right? He picks up the scroll. It was there and he reads from Isaiah. And when Jesus reads this, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, these are fantastic words. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all who spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for your word. We pray you would speak deeply into our lives. And Lord, that you would anoint me for this task of preaching today. Ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. 
So in this passage, again, Jesus is kind of the, he's baptized, he has 40 days in the desert, he ministers in Galilee, and now he comes here and he reads this scroll. So this is early, 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 first sermon of Jesus, he comes out, he reads this text, and in this, Jesus is going to reveal many things about himself, not only about himself, but about us. Jesus is, as the Father, we read this two weeks ago, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Our mission is not exclusive to how we want to do it or what we want to do. We model the way of our Savior. Jesus sets the course. He sets the pace for how we ought to, what we ought to, how we ought to. Jesus modeled it, and now he is inviting us along the same course that he walked down. Now, there's this, there's this wonderful text, and it says it like this in John 14. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, if you believe in me, do you believe in Jesus this morning? Say amen, right on. I can get down with that. Yep, okay. So if you believe in me, you will not only do the things I once did, but you will do even greater because I am going to the Father. Now, when you hear that text, it almost sounds like I'll say it like this. Jesus said we're going to do greater things than he did. That's what the text says. That sounds heretical, doesn't it? It sounds like Pastor Ryan just said that you can do better than Jesus. Well, there's this one really important thing that hinges on that. See, Jesus is not dead. He is alive. And he indwells within us. And his spirit resides within us. And he is moving. He is alive. He's seated at the right hand of God. Now, in the next few months, you might, next few weeks, you might think he's in a manger. See, he's not in a manger. That was just his incarnation. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended to on high. He is the prophet. He is the king. He is the Lord. He is the high priest. He is alive and he is well. And Easter is every day, right? Like, that's it for us. And so Jesus is alive. And because he is living, his mission continues on. Greater things continue on through us. And so this pathway that we are on called the faith is a pathway to greater things than even Jesus did on earth. Why? Because he's not done. Because he's alive and he is in us and he is moving and he is well. So in this text, Jesus reveals first our mission. First our mission. He says, so why? Because we see our mission in his mission. So he says these things. He says, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And then he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Favor. So Jesus, what we see is that he was committed to entering into the painful, broken places of this world. The neediest members of society. Jesus, we see it happen in just very real ways. He goes to the paralytic. He goes to the blind. He goes to the broken men and women whose society has cast away. Jesus goes to the hungry and on and on and on. He goes to every member of society Rich, poor, broken, and seemingly whole. Jesus goes to all of these. Isaiah 58.10 says, if you, pour out, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as a noonday. So for us, what does it look like to embrace this kind of mission? Now we're going to understand this a little bit more, I think, in a moment. But 
But to understand his mission, to say that I'm going to do this with my life. I'm going to proclaim good news to the poor. I'm going to bring liberty to the captives. I'm gonna, I want to I wanna be used to bring sight to the blind, to, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. I want to I be used to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor in my life. Well, one, I, I think we have to become convinced that our life is capable of this. See, in Isaiah 1, and really Christianity is kind of, this is the brand that Jesus would like us to adopt. Now, there's this other brand of Christianity, and what it has, and you've heard me say this before, it's this brand that just says you sit down and you listen, right? There's this brand of Christianity, and how this brand works is you, you come to church service, you sit down and you listen, then you go about your normal life. And then as you grow, you go to a Bible study, and you sit down and you listen, then you go about your normal life. And then if you want to grow more, then you go to a conference, right? And then you sit down and you listen and then you go about your normal life. And then if you get really good, then you're going to go to somebody's house, right? And sit down in their house and you're going to study the scriptures around a circle. And it is a sit down kind of Christianity. Now, just so you know, I love those sit down places and we should do those things. But that makes up about, I don't know, if you're really good, maybe 120 minutes of your week. And there's a lot more minutes that God wants to be glorified and exalted in our lives, So what does it look like for all of this space to do that? Well, I think one thing has to happen is we have to become convinced that this is what he's actually asking us. There's two texts that really convinced me of it. Isaiah 1. See, in Isaiah 1, there's this kind of famous text, and it says, though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Speaking, prophesying that Jesus is going to come and and our sins are going to be ever-present, but Jesus is going to cleanse us. But then the text continues on just a little bit past that. And he says these kind of words about their religion. He says, basically, you think you've got something together? He says, and these are strong words. He says, you've become a whore. You neglect the poor. You neglect the oppressed. You neglect the widow. You neglect the orphan." He's not speaking to some church context. He's speaking to individuals. And what he's saying is a pure religion has compassion that flows out of it, has kindness that just permeates into every situation that doesn't move toward a divisive kind of life, but but moves people in and courage and invites them into their life and loves and cares. And it's just the person of Jesus oozing out of our lives into others. He says true religion is this. It's one that, that expresses what has happened in here, out of here. Isaiah 58 says, is this not the fasting I choose? See, what they were saying is, Lord, we do this and we do this, and these are our religious activities. And he says, no, see, it doesn't count for anything because you don't care. You don't show compassion. The oppressed don't prick your heart. The blind, you're indifferent towards what God says is, that is not what I am about. See, this greater message, we must become convinced that God has something bigger for us, but not just convinced, but moving to a place of becoming engaged, of maybe even praying this kind of prayer, God, open my eyes that I may see what is truly around me. Open my eyes to see those who are poor, See those that are blind. See those that are oppressed. See those that are held captive. Lord, open my eyes to to see that there is an end coming when you will 
turn and help me to proclaim the year of your favor. So how do we do this? Well, we, we begin, and maybe some way, to begin to take inventory of our life and ask, does my mission and my life match the mission and the movement of what Jesus' life was? Am I trusting in his indwelling presence, his reign and rule on high, his living reality to move out of my life in the everyday spaces, that he wants to do greater things than he once did in me? That is insane and amazing to think about, that Jesus wants to use me in even greater ways than the things that he once did on this earth. See, the, for, for many of us, we move into these places of inadequacy. I don't know if you ever struggle with this. So words that we would really like, if, if we were honest, right? If we're just honest for a minute, can we, can we do that, right? If we're honest for a minute, words that we would typically, maybe not typically put with our life, but maybe you would identify with some of these words. See, there's these words in our life like anxiety. Anybody ever feel that, right? Insufficiency. Fear. Even as we look back at our life, we, we, we use words like depression and grief. There's things in our past like abuse. And then we have just simple things like finances. And these normal everyday things that we think are just normative, and, and they are, and we all have them, and if we're honest, they, they come out here and there, and maybe some of them constantly in a way that's super unhealthy, and we know it, and we don't know how to stop. And so what we say to the Lord is, I, I can't. I, I, I just can't step into this, because I don't even know what it looks like. I don't, I don't even know how to do it because if we're honest, we have these things in us that really hold us back. Well, see, these truths come kind of to fruition when we push into them because true love casts out all fear. And I don't have to be really anxious about anything because I'm in Jesus. My, if you were here last week, my, window, my, my door installer told me all about that. 365 days a year, I don't have to be afraid because do not fear is 365 times in the Bible. I don't have to be afraid because I have hope forever. I can have courage because my, faith, my Savior is full of courage. I can have compassion because I've been given a compassion that I just can't even fathom. I, don't, I, 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 am insufficient. I, I am insufficient myself, but with my Savior, I am completely sufficient, and I have everything I need to do everything he's asked. You see, there's these things, and maybe just to simplify it, it might look like this in the day-to-day of our life to embrace his mission. I think there's a proactive approach we have to take, and I think that proactive approach has to be in being his disciple. I need to be proactive in pushing into Jesus, and if I'm not pushing into him, I'm going to feel insufficient. I'm going to have overwhelming anxiety. I'm going to have fear because the one who breaks all fears I'm distancing my life from. 
So being proactive into being his disciple, and as you're proactive into being his disciple, I believe one of the things he'll do is he'll use you to reproduce your life in others and to make disciples. It happens with proactive, uh, proactivity in that. But I think there's this other thing as I'm being proactive in engaging Jesus that he's gonna ask me to be reactive. And I'm gonna have these moments that I can react in my life to things that we see. And so uh, I didn't ask her for permission. I'll have to do it between services. So yesterday, me and my daughter, Kinsley, we, we said to our girls, hey, let's go, let, let's give this Christmas, right? This is a good thing to do to give. We always talk about what we're gonna get. And so one of the things she wanted to give was coffees or, or hot chocolates to Salvation Army bell ringers. And so yesterday we went out, we bought six hot chocolates and we went out and did it. And so we went out and we gave them away. One lady, like she, she teared up when Kinsley gave it to her and she said, I can't believe you thought of me. I'm so thankful for you today, which was awesome. And a few others, you know, they did this thing. And, and what Kinsley was really being was just this moment of being reactive. She'd seen these people out in the cold and she said, I think hot chocolate would be helpful. And then as we prayed before we went out, she just said this simple little prayer and her simple little faith, a, a 10-year-old would pray. She says, Jesus, would they see you and us by what we do today, right? This really simple prayer. So now it gets awesome. So we go to Walmart, right? And Christmas is crazy. And Walmart is Walmart. And so we pull up in front. Kinsley gets out of the car. She goes and hands this guy hot chocolate, and so there's a truck that's in front of me, I'm kind of here, and a dude pulls up behind me and just starts laying on the horn. And so it's this moment, he's just laying on the horn, and so now, just so you know, I'm not a super passive guy. Uh, um, that's just something the Lord has worked on me, and I'm like, I'm not doing this. And so I got out of the car, and I said, sir, come on. And so then he got out, and instigated an incident where Kinsley thought her father was going to die. And, uh, and it, right, it was this moment, right, even in the midst of this kind of, like, really good deed, like, we're doing something really good. By the way, I had, like, 20 people on my side in that parking lot, and uh, thank you, ladies, for being people that stand up. Like, I, like, the mamas were in the room, they were like, I saw her give him a hot chocolate, what are you doing honking at him? And he's like, it's a fire lane, bleepity bleep bleep bleep, right, there was this whole deal going on. And so we get done with this whole thing, and I, and I said, is, Kinsley, here's the deal, when you go on mission with God, and when you, when you just love people, and you do this thing, hey, everything doesn't always go great. And you know what, this guy, he's really hurting. For him to get so mad about something so little. And so we need to pray for this guy. And we need to, we need to care because that's why we do this. It's not that like life will be roses and good. We do this because there's a lot of people in this world that need, need to hear this great truth of Jesus. And there's so many people in this world that are hurting. See, it was this great moment, I hope, and then I think she then has this fear that her dad's going to do something really stupid, which is a goal of mine, because I want them to know that when boys come around. And so, <laughs> like, dad could pick a fight with somebody. And so, uh, see, see, but this proactive mission of being a disciple of Jesus, and then this reaction that, I'm, I, that, I, that I take action with these things in my life, and be honest, I, I wish at times I had a little bit more of that simple faith like my kids, 
And I see it just in the day-to-day of my life. And I, I think here's just a great note for Christmas season. We can do these kinds of things in the day-to-day of our life in a way where we're just showing the compassion that's been shown to us and just walking with the courage that we have from our Savior. Second thing that we see so that we can get out of here before 1030. I got a lot of room to go. Okay, let's do this. And so then the second thing we see is the condition. Now, now what's embedded in this text, this is probably the most important thing I'll say all morning. See, in this text, what's embedded is the poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed. If you miss this, you'll never hit mission. You see, we are the poor, and I am the blind, and I am oppressed, and I am held captive. See, in my life, I was poor. I had nothing of value before I came to know Jesus. Because everything in this life is passing and failing. And the only thing of true value is Jesus. I was held captive, right? I was, I was, I was in bondage to my sin. I, I was blind. I was unable to see clearly. And I was oppressed. I was, I was oppressed by this world and held down by every circumstance and everything in it. But Jesus came in my life and he redeemed me and he saved me. See, and he took this poor man and made him rich. He took this man that was captive and set him free. This man who was blind and opened his eyes this man who was oppressed, and he brought him freedom. See, in our lives, we are all this. So we can can think all day long that we're basically good people, and I would say in this room, (coughs) sorry, I'm going to lose my voice. I would say in this room that for the most part, there's a lot of really good people in this room. Not good enough not good enough to be set free, not good enough to not be blind, not good enough to not be held captive, not good enough to stop the oppression of this world. Jesus is a good one. See, good is subjective. It's to each his own. We're not good enough. We were poor. We were blind. We were oppressed. We were held captive. We were in desperate need of the Lord's favor. But he came. He set us free, and in his freedom, we see that our condition is not what these poor people are here or there. I identify with their condition. I identify with their condition because it was once me, and I don't say that in some self-righteous sense. I see it very humbly in something I don't deserve. So Jesus reveals our mission. He reveals our condition because he came for us to set us free. And the third thing that we see is that there's a call to decision in the text. They were amazed. They were amazed at what he had said. But what you'll do, if if you read down through that text, they were amazed but unwilling to change. They were intrigued but cold. They were consumed with their religion and unwilling to submit to the person of Jesus. See, when we see this mission that he lays out, in which he engages, in which he fulfills, in which he's still fulfilling, 
It reveals our condition of who we are and his mission includes us. <coughs> Sorry, turn my mic off for a second. I gotta get a good cough out here. coughing with me here. <laughs> Just don't cough on your neighbor. Okay, there, we're, we're into winter. So, so the question we kind of wrestle with is what do we do with the message today? What do we do with this text that is true that his mission is revealed, our mission is revealed, that our condition is revealed, and there's a decision to be made. I said earlier to, in, a moment ago that, that there was a decision I had to make in my life as a Christian of what path I was going to go down. Was I going to go down the path that God had for me, or was I going to do that which I'd known my whole life, right? And what I'd known my whole life was education. I'd kind of always thought I was going to go down this road of being a teacher and an educator and a, maybe a coach, teacher, educator, right? That was my plan. And God redirected my plan. Now, that's not everybody's plan, and those are very noble things to do and very great things to do for Jesus. I've wondered many times, I I wonder as I meet with teachers, sometimes I think they have greater impacts than I could ever even dream of the people day in and day out that they get to engage and interact with. See, Isaiah 6 a is this moment where Isaiah has to kind of respond to the call of God on his life. And in this text, it's somewhat of a, a famous text. In Isaiah 6, 8, says, I heard a voice to the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. See, Isaiah, what happened in this text is there was this path ahead that he had and in this path ahead, he had to hear God's voice. He had to hear God's voice. The second thing he had to do was he had to respond to his grace. And the third, he had to decide on his direction. We have to decide on, our, on your direction. So when he heard God's voice, his, the Lord said, whom will go for us? I don't want to use a lot of words around this. Let the scripture speak for itself. But today, I think what the Lord is saying is who will go for us? Will you? In the day-to-day, in the moment-to-moment, will you go on his behalf to do his work? Will you respond to his grace? See, prior to this, Isaiah was standing in the temple. He was overwhelmed with the presence of the Lord. And when he truly saw the presence of the Lord, he fell down and he said, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. It was a moment of reality that he laid aside his goodness and recognized that he was unholy and capable of being holy in the way in which God directed See, I cried at the beginning of the service and now my sinus is just bad. <laughs> Nothing's working for me here. So he said, woe am I. I'm a man of unclean lips. 
So the Lord says, who will go? And he says, here am I. Those would be great words for you to say this morning if you've never said them to the Lord or if you have, say them again. God, here am I. And then we have to decide on our direction, decide on your direction, each of us individually. Here am I, Lord. And then he said these great and wonderful words. (laughs) Thank you. You're so nice. I'm glad there was one person in this room that just loves their pastor (laughs) so much. Just kidding, I know that three of you do. And so... uh, uh, Decide on our direction. And, and he said these words, which were wonderful. He just said, here am I, send me. They're really simple words, but really powerful. And I know when I said those words to the Lord, there's nothing that's been the same since. A simple commitment of saying, yes, I'm in, I'm for you. I'm going to live for you. This pathway, this journey that I'm on, it's all about you, Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. It's about, about using my life to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captive, sight to the blind, setting liberty to those who are oppressed because I identify with them because I was once one of them. And you have done an incredible, great work in my life and I, I just can never stop. I can never shut up. I can never stop because Jesus, I know you're alive. I know you're seated on high. I know one day I'll be with you forever. You have done this incredible work inside of me and now I wanna do this incredible work for you until the last day I breathe here on this earth. So in a moment, we're going to sing a song, and it's called Trust It All. You know it. We've sang it before. My life and all my plans, I trust it all. I trust it all to you. And even as you sing those words, those words might resonate simply like this. Here I am, Lord. Send me. As we walk down this pathway of being disciples, I hope for each of us that Jesus is truly everything to us. And not only is Jesus everything to us, but we embrace our place in his family and we love others around us well. And as we love others around us well, we embrace this greater mission that we have been called to because we have been rescued and redeemed and we have a savior that, not as, that hasn't called us to a mission alone, but a mission right beside him until we see him. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for your love and your care. Lord, we're grateful that you took us, the oppressed, the blind, the broken, and you made us your sons and daughters, that you took us out of our captivity, that you took us out of our oppression and you brought us life. Jesus, help us every moment of every day of our life to see this greater thing that you've done in us. And Lord, help us to give it away in the day-to-day of our life, no matter what the cost, no matter what the struggle. Lord, help us to say as Isaiah did, In our day, in our time, Lord, we hear your voice calling us 
to your greater work, to leave our puny little missions and to join with you in your giant, global, eternal mission. Lord, might we respond simply today by saying, here I am, Lord. Send me. Father, move as we sing. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand, we're gonna sing this last song. I'm gonna encourage you this morning to get out of your seat if God's calling you, just to freshly say to him today, here I am, send me, and to come to these altars and to pray. Don't wait for someone else. Just respond this morning by saying, here I am, send me. Let's sing together.